Welcome back, everyone, to Geek Freaks Interview and the Round Free Podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of the greatest DAS Tetris players I have ever seen in my life. And I'm just so happy to be able to have an interview with this guy. Everybody, welcome Michael Sharkey. Michael, welcome. Sharkey, thank you for being here. No problem. It's been an honor, too. I mean, I get to go on a couple podcasts, but every time someone else reaches out to me, it's like, hey, would you like to be a podcast? So it's like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. You're like, oh, yeah, heck yeah. Like, who doesn't want to talk about themselves? Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, So I kind of want to just start out, like, for people who maybe don't know you, because um, a lot of it's through the classic Tetris community, Um, just kind of give a brief description of who you are and what you do for the classic Tetris community. All right, cool. Well, my name is Michael, but I commonly go by my online alias Sharky. I am a classic Tetris commentator as well as I am an event host and I am a player. So I use the DAS play style and I hold a couple of world records in that as well. How many world records? Uh, Somewhere around like eight. Eight. Almost majority in the double of them digits. Are, You're almost yeah, there. the majority of them are in uh, competitive play. Okay. So that's the pretty pretty high accolades. Um, just kind of going off of your classic Tetris achievements. I mean, in 2019, I think what were you were top 64? Uh yeah, I uh, qualified in uh, the top 48 that year. Mm -hmm. Only it was uh my seventh month of playing because I started playing that year, February 20. Mm -hmm. 27th 2019 and so, so then in, yeah so in less than a year you had already qualified for something that pretty much a lot of people have been playing for generations of their life yeah it was i mean it was surreal to me you know as soon as i got up there on stage i was just blasting uh the mob psycho one and two op in mm -hmm. my headphones and you got up there and i hit an 800k and i was good enough to qualify that year it's a good feeling to qualify. It is. It's one of those where you just like, it's a sigh of relief in a way. Cause it's like your first year, you know, first time being out there only playing for a couple months. And all of a sudden now you're in the biggest Tetris tournament. I mean, that's an accolade. That's not a lot of people can say that. So props to you for that, especially using the DAS play style. Cause we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to the play styles, but um, I just want to get right into like, how did you discover Tetris? Like there are like, a game scout has said this nobody just googles classic tetris tournaments but what what got you into it so i had originally played it like way back in like 2008 when i was eight years old my dad had got me a tetris on my supercard on my ds and i grinded it out until i maxed out the score which it took forever because i was not a good stacker i mean i was only eight years old but uh, I had grinded out the score, you know, I'd keep my DS plugged up to the charger since I was, you know, scoring singles and then max that out. And I'm like, all right, I'm done with Tetris forever. Fast forward to 2015, I got recommended a video, which was CTWC at that time. Hmm. And they were playing on level nine. So I watched it for a couple minutes. I'm like, this is boring. I'm just going to leave it alone. And then December 26, 2018, that's when I got recommended the Joseph Saley versus Jonas Neubauer match. And after watching that, I sat through and watched, you know, the entirety, the commentary brought me in and I was like, whoa, he's 16 and he can do this. I'm 18. Maybe I can give it a try myself. So after two months of studying Jonas and Joseph, asking a bunch of questions, really seeing how they stacked, then that's when I started playing on an online emulator. Three days later, I got the console and I was playing on my flat screen because I didn't know a CRT was better at the time. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 the big thing with classic Tetris. Like, I don't think people understand now that the CRT TV is like the way you need to play it because people who are getting into the community right now, I mean, like you said, they're getting into it on emulators and on a flat screen. And it's not quite the same because in the main tournaments, they use the CRT TVs. So talk about that kind of flip into going from emulator to CRT. Was there a challenge going into that like explain kind of that transition well i spent uh around my first five and a half months on lcd and by the time i switched because it's funny story my i told uh you know my dad it was like yeah uh, the people the pros they you know play on crts 
And whenever he, my mom and my dad were actually going to surprise me, it's like, hey, we're going to fly you to Portland this year to compete. And I saw on he, we like to use OfferUp to get a lot of our stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, we have our, me and my dad's account in particular, it's linked. So then next thing you know, I get a notification is like, you know, a text message from a person that has given out a CRT. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a CRT. First couple of days when I got it, it was rough. But then after I started playing on it more, it was like, I never want to touch Tetris on the LCD again. Mm. It's just, you have more time. And with the DAS play style, with more time, I'm able to do quick taps, which help me be the aggressive and like insane survivability DAS player that I am. Mm. Yeah, it's it's something that's very interesting, specifically about you as a player and talking about the play styles. Before I go into specifically you as an individual, Kind of give the basic rundown of these three different types of play styles that are, you know, developing in the classic Tetris community. Yeah. So you have the basic one, one that I'd say is the most intuitive because everyone, they just think to, you know, hold left or right. And we call that DAS, mm-hmm. which, you know, the DAS play style is figuring out a way to hold pieces left and right, get them over. And there is a hard limitation. You can get some lines on 29, but 29 is essentially as far as you'll be able to go. Then you have hyper tapping, where you'll have some players that would be tap the controller instead of holding left or right. And in order for it to be considered hyper, you have to be able to tap the controller more than 10 times per second, because that's the essentially the equivalent of DAS speed. So this allowed players like Joseph, Corian, Eric, ICX, and Alex T before they swapped over to rolling. It allowed them to play 29 and to play 19 higher. And then you have rolling, which is the most recent developing play style, which, you know, it, it's kind of weird. You hold the controller and you barely put your thumb on the D-pad and you take your other hand and you essentially roll your hand on the back of the controller, bumping the controller into your hand four times or five times, depending on how far you need to go. Mm-hmm. And this technique allows you to reach speeds of an equivalent of 20 to 30 taps per second. And so then this allowed 29 to become more playable. You can see players, you know, going as far as to, you know, break the the color palette of the game and also allows for more survivability on 18 and 19. And those are the three really main play styles. Mm. Okay. So why, why did you choose DAS of all the play styles you could have gone with? You were like, I'm going to stick with DAS. I'm going to be a DAS player. I've attempted other play styles, but what, what made you like stick with DAS? Well, originally, whenever I saw Joseph and I was like, oh, he's hyper tapping. I kind of do that when I play Osu, whenever I'm having to spam the keys on a four Mm. key or whatnot. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to give that a try. Well, you know, first couple of times, I'm not really good at keyboard tapping. And then it's like, well, let me just try and learn DAS. And if it gets to the point to where I have to learn tapping, then I'll do that. Figure I'll be able to build a solid foundation with more restrictions so then whenever I am able to learn a better play style with less restrictions, I'm still able to keep that very foundational stacking. Mm-hmm. Now, I did, you know, try tapping uh, around a year and a half into my journey. I was decently fast, like I can get 13 taps per second. The issue was that's essentially the equivalent with DAS and quick tapping and my control severely suffered. And so it's like, well, my my personal tapping ability isn't going to overshadow my DAS prowess. So I'm going to stick with DAS. And then rolling, I just haven't had enough time to, you know, try and learn it. (laughs) To really, like, narrow it down. Because there's a lot of different... um, The thing I've realized is, like, even with tapping and uh, rolling, especially, there's so many different types of grips. I mean, people get very creative with their grips and their styles. Um, There was a DAS player that I saw. I don't remember who it was, but he did it like a keyboard like he would use his you know pointer fingers and do it like a keyboard because that's what he was used to so it's just interesting to kind of see the different types of play styles and all that is there is there somebody's grip that's your favorite in regards to like hyper tapping or rolling is there one that you're like you think is kind of cool or i do like uh dan qz's grip which he kind of like holds it like a remote controller and then taps on it but then, you know, the favorite grip that I like to see and play is uh, JD's grip because that's the grip that kind of like revolutionized 29 play. And right. he was able to incorporate the quick tap with his grip, which made him even, you know, faster and stronger. Just able to do 
just crazy stuff before, you know, rolling came out. Mm. Yeah. And rolling has once again, like you said, revolutionized the game. And I think to the extent, I think people wouldn't realize is that the drop speed of 29 is considered considered not humanly possible with quotes considered, but with the ability to move the pieces like that, you can now play on 29 and it does play a factor into competitive play. So when you're playing against somebody in a rolling style, like where is that competitive mentality? Like what, what do you put in your head to like try to, you know, win the game against them? Well, for me personally, as a DAS player, I know I'm at a heavy disadvantage. My goal is to try and make it as difficult for them as possible because I know they have that 29 playability. But when you start talking about other tappers and rollers that have that ability to play on 29, you'll start to see, you know, some people have different approaches like Eric ICX in this past, you know, world championship. His approach was outlast my opponent. Or if you take Huff in this uh, past Honda Cup that just recently happened on the Mm -hmm. TEC version. His idea was to be so aggressive to put so much pressure on you. By the time he does top out, you're having to get 10 Tetrises on 29 speed within two minutes, which is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So it all really depends on the player and their personal preference. And, you know, the case of Fractal, he does like to, you know, line out, but he's also willing, you know, take Tetrises. Yeah. And that's, you know, currently under the current competitive meta, things are going to shift with, you know, line caps going to be implemented and then you know there's going to be a whole new development of strategy and what the meta might be in terms of you know those line caps because mm. i've heard a little bit i when i had talked to a game scout about it they said they weren't going to do anything like that but i've heard of like there potentially being you know the line cap there's also the potential of like a second kill screen which i had yeah. i had heard but i kind of wanted to get more information see if you knew anything more about that specifically so the second kill screen is essentially twice the existing speed of regular kill screen. And this effectively makes it impo- um, basically impossible to play even for a roller because mm-hmm. now pieces are falling. Uh, they're falling one cell. No, they're falling two cells every one frame. Right. So then your effective movement is cut a little bit more than half and you have to, your rotations and everything just become incredibly difficult to hit. I believe the record on a double 29 or double kill screen play is like 11 lines. Like it's not high mm-hmm. at all. It's no, how, it's, essentially yeah. how a 29 play was back in like 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I saw on, it was, I think miles, the great stream. I saw yeah. him doing it. I don't know. I think, is it him that holds it or no? Yeah. It's him that holds the record. Okay. So I did see, okay. I was like, that sounds so familiar. The 11 lines, but yeah, I saw that. So, um, Speaking of other players, um, there has been a lot of different players throughout the community's history. And I know that you've probably been watching, you know, for quite some time now. And who who are those people in the Tetris community? I know there's probably a lot of names, but for you specifically, like who was who who are those people that you like truly looked up to when you were playing and you were like, I want to be like them? I'd say my the two most players that I truly looked up to was Joseph and Jonas. And the finalists, which, you know, those are the two that I studied for the two months before even touching the game. Because mm-hmm. my approach was if I want to try and win that trophy, I need to study from the best. I need to really sit down and understand it. Cause at the time, you know, it was only like maybe 10 months before you know, the next CTWC. And I'm already behind. You know, these people have been playing for, you know two months or two years you know three years or in the case of you know jonas playing since you know he was a child yeah and so i was like i have to do so much to catch up and bring my skill up to where they are and those two were the two that i mainly watched in order to learn you know how to stack and everything and then Mm -hmm. harry came in a little bit while longer to learn to help refine my das aggression and really build confidence in the way that i play das Mm. yeah and i've i've seen with like Kind of you talking about the three of them. I see that mixture of the three players when you're playing. So it's like, I see that like Jonas stacking spins, you know, like that just such clean play. And then the aggression of Harry, like Harry is just setting up these insane, crazy Tetrises that you don't think a DAS player should go for. But it's amazing to see how all that kind of envelops and becomes 
you know, you as a player and now seeing you and watching you in 2019 and you kind of had this, like, I, I'd, I'd loved calling. I love showing people your video. And I was like, he has this swagger to him <laughs> when he plays that he, he like, I don't want to say you were a villain, but you kind of were like the heel. Like you were like, you're not afraid to show, you know, like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And you got to deal with it. You know, like, cause the high let's, I got it. I got to put in the hyper jolt <laughs> in here, man. Cause I mean, it was the swag track back in 2019 <laughs> people. I don't think appreciated the, the hyper jolt. So, um, but essentially that was your quick tap, but you know, you emphasize yeah. the movement a lot more, which was, I think people really enjoyed that. Do people ever reference back to that for you and like have people made it into any like jokes or something while you're commentating? Yeah, I mean, sometimes they'll reference the hyper jolt, but what came what became the thing was because uh my quick tap accuracy is so high, the stuff that I get out of, you know, people thought I was tapping, and so it's like, oh yeah, Sharky, yeah. he's a fake Daz player. Like no actual mm. Daz player would survive this kind of, you know, mess. And so yeah. then it went from being, you know, called, you know, the hyper jolter, the unique play style, and it just mm. being called the fake DAS player. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So people gave you a hard time in the DAS community. Like, come on, Sharky, you know, you're tapping, but no, yeah. it's just that <laughs> it's like, your quick, your quick taps are that on point. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's just amazing to know that like somebody who had not even been a year into classic Tetris can qualify. So for people who like maybe don't even know about these types of tournaments or maybe play in different types of Tetris tournaments, like, you know, we said the Honda qualifier for Tetris effect connected, like, what would you say to somebody who's taking those first steps? You know, like who's like, what's your advice to those who are just starting out? My advice for them is I'd personally get a training regime and then also have a couple of set goals. For me personally, that was how I was able to boost my skill up to the point to where I could qualify for, you know, the world championship, even on my worst of days. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would, I almost burned myself out because of it. And so I modified it whenever I sh shared my uh, regime with everyone. But it was still, you know, that regime that helped me, you know, elevate my play to make it in 2019. And then second, watch a lot of high level clean Tetris. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, me, I consider myself an analyst because, I mean, I even do it in my commentary. I break down. It's like, oh, wow, that was a great move. It allows, you know, for this, that, and this. Mm. If you could really harness and understand the theory behind how you're stacking, then all it is is a matter of getting your physical ability, whether you dash, tap, or roll. And you can become, you know, a very high-skilled player, even, you know, mm. high-skilled enough to, you know, make it into CTWC. Yeah. And they have different levels of tournaments as well. I know that. I just joined the uh, Tetris Friendlies Discord, and I know that there's another tournament, the Classic Tetris Monthly, but I know that you actually run your own tournament, and you, you know, when did, when did that start out, and what, what sparked the, the, the want to build a uh, Tetris tournament? So back whenever I joined, you know, early 2019, the only online Tetris tournament there was was Classic Tetris Monthly, and... It wasn't as hectic as it is right now. You know, you join, you you qualify, you land in a bracket, you play, you know, once a month or depending however far you go, and then mm -hmm. you wait till the next month. Well, in my mind, you know, after, you know, wanting to already be a part of, you know, try and try out commentary because commentary was a big part in why I got sucked in. I was like, well, I want to, you know, try and help out the community. I want to fill a gap that isn't there. A lot of people, you know, they only get a chance, you know, once or twice or however many times a month to play in this event. I want to, you know, create an event, you know, completely different format where people are able to play, you know, multiple times in a week. Mm -hmm. And so then that spawned, you know, the idea for my event. And the reason why I called it Classic Tetris Gauntlet was because it first started out as a King of the Hill event where everyone would join in the queue, you would have, you know, one person and they would, you know, stay, have to essentially fight through the gauntlet to stay on top. Mm -hmm. And so then and it, that was how, you know, King of the Hill sees a fire because it's igniting the fire of a brand new, you know, competition. Right. And after showing other people that it's like, hey, CTM doesn't have to be the only, you know, classic Tetris competitive we have online. Then you had CTO pop up then you had friendlies then you had brawl. And then it just inspired a whole lot of people to, you know, continue to uplift the scene. CTM is still the main thing, but now there's all these different ones. And mm. now 
Gauntlet has transitioned away from the King of Hill format and has become a Team Tetris format that follows a lot of, you know, traditional esports, you know, team kind yeah. of uh kind okay. of action. Okay. Yeah, I I've tuned into a few of them and the the King of the Hill format was the first one I saw and it was for me like it's super unique cuz you don't see a lot of just video games generals have that. So it's just cool to have seen that format and and playstyle and Something I've started to realize um, as I've, you know, come into the Tetris community, um, I played in the desert qualifier. I qualified there. Um, now he kicked my butt. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I qualified and I had to face him. He was my first person I ever faced in CTWC. So, you know, he made the bracket. So I'm happy that I lost to him. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's so I would say refreshing to know that somebody who was 18, like saw a 16 year old play in the classic Tetris world champion, win the world championship and be like, Hey, I can do that. You know, I can do the same thing. It's, it's good to hear that, you know, there are people out there who see it and, you know, take themselves and push themselves even harder to like truly become better. And with that, it sparked even more because now you're running a tournament and now you're in commentary and now you're, you know, sitting next to Chris Tang and and, <laughs> and James Chen and those guys and doing the commentary with them. Like, what was that moment like the first time you sat down next to Chris Tang doing commentary? It was like in surreal. person. Yeah, it was surreal because, I mean, even before the in person, I only commentated with Chris Tang twice before and those were for, you know, the Honda Cup qualifiers. But, you know, I was sitting there, you know, commentating call solo. And then he came by and sat right next to me. And my mind is like, wow, over, you know, the three years, 1500 matches later, I finally am able to make, sit here, you know, on the front stage with the person that, you know, mainly got me into commentary in the first place. And him and I are, you know, calling qualifiers and then later on calling games together. I think my favorite moment, commentary moment from CTWC that I will like, remember so vividly it was opox was playing up against red shirt it was game four and opox had just came back from like a massive like a hundred and fifty thousand point mm -hmm. deficit and he was about to score the tetris to take the lead for the first time in the match since like i think since uh early 18 yeah and right as soon as he scored the tetris me and chris tang at the exact same time said boom tetris for opox and like complete harmony and everything and then afterwards we just looked at each other like ah, ah, ah. it was just like such a great moment <laughs> that's and awesome i you don't uh, really do you, have that kind of stuff dude i remember that like you said it and i was like when you said opox and red shirt i'm like i know exactly what he's gonna say he's gonna talk about the <laughs> simul boom um but yeah it's it's something that like it's a surreal thing too, like sitting down next to those guys. Cause you know, Chris Tang has been there since the beginning, like since it started. And it's something that like, it's good to see that, you know, there are other people who are stepping up to the plate as commentators. Cause, um, a lot of people like they get concerned or they're worried about, you know, are they going to say things correctly? And you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, if there's somebody who's sitting in the class of Texas community and they're like, hey, I want to start commenting, but I don't know where to start. Like, what do I do to do that? How do I get into the commentary? What What would be that advice you would give to them for the commentary aspect of it? For me, the thing that a lot of people says makes me a strong commentator is I know a bunch about the game, which, you know, after, you know, playing it for a little over three years, you know, that's a given. But, you know, players, if you want to, or rather just people, if you want to, you know, learn how to commentate classic Tetris, you have to learn the game. Being able to have something to talk about and something to talk about accurately is what's going to help you stand out as a commentator. And the biggest thing is you have to find your own style. Like for me, my style is, you know, a lot of people will say I come off as professional, but I'm also, you know, really hype, but at the same time, educational. Mm -hmm. And that's the style that, I mean, obviously I don't expect someone to, you know, commentate 1500 matches over the course of three years. That's, right. that's a lot of investment. But if you're able to, you know, find your style, you know, listen to good commentary and think about different ways on how you might want to do it. And, mm. you know, there's a couple people in the community like Grand Designs. He tried to emulate my kind of hype centric style commentary, but also combine it with Kingsman's showmanship. So right. he was able to merge his own style like that. Or mm. you have Vandy, who's more, you know, laid back, but also hilarious. Like, I'm not really mm. too funny in commentary. Like that, like the, but, like the, the laid back comedy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you have just all these different styles. And you know, if your style is similar to someone, you know, who cares? It just matters on what it is in the moment, how you call the games. And what I try to do personally is I want to make sure that you watching are feeling so emotionally attached to the game that you know when someone gets in the dig, you're sitting there like going like, yeah. Or maybe your mm-hmm. favorite team loses and you're like, oh man, they almost had it. You know, I want you to feel some emotional attachment, mm. uh, emotional attachment to Tetris. It's, or it's rather like, the Tetris matches. It's like when you're rooting for like a traditional sports team. Like you want to create that emotional bond of those like people who have been cheering for their team for years. You're essentially establishing that with people, which is something I think that people don't realize how much there is in common with esport and traditional sports. So props to you for being able to create that and your your style is something that like I also have, you know, utilized back when I was in college. I actually did commentary for uh competitive Smash Brothers at my college and because I realized that, you know, you were so knowledgeable but you were also extremely like emotionally invested in every game. It was like you were just there for it and it was like you were sitting down and playing the game. And it was so cool to know that like you were able to create that emotion that I've only felt in like traditional sport. So it's, it's amazing to like be able to kind of hear and dissect the why behind it. So it's super cool to, to be able to talk that about that with you and like really get to know you more as an individual and like why it's become like this and, you know, all this amazing things that like people just don't, I think quite know and understand. So Again, and props to you for, you know, all that you've accomplished, you know, um, speaking of accomplishments, CTWC this year, did you surprise yourself a little bit? Uh, yes, <laughs> I did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you qualified for 2022 when there's probably a little rumor floating around that DAS might not stick around that long, but there are other people who say otherwise. And one of them being you. So kind of give <laughs> I mean, me that like, you know, what was that feeling when you're like, oh, I qualified? The biggest thing for me was, you know, my, I actually, before, you know, CCOBC, whenever I was reached out to like, hey, we want you to do commentary. I was actually told that, you know, you're not going to be able to play and commentate. Okay. And so right there, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go to, you know, do commentary. My impact as a player isn't anywhere close to my impact as a commentator and you know i want to make sure that whenever i'm casting these games people can live essentially i can live the game through you know my commentary Mm -hmm. and then later on it's like oh shaki you know go ahead you know you can go ahead and sign up and it's like well you know two weeks before i was like well heck i gotta actually start training (laughs) you gotta train and so then you know for the week or rather like Eight days before I flew out to Portland, because I flew out early to, you know, help with setup and everything. For those eight days, I was able to get around 32 max outs, you know, eight days uh, with average of, you know, my first day being seven max outs and my lowest day only being three max outs. That's like almost four max outs a day. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. That is insane. Like to average four, ma- like four max out in eight days. That's wild. I mean, that's not yeah. as wild now because of rolling, but as a DAS player. I mean, yeah, as a DAS player, it's, come it's on. not something that a lot of DAS players do. It's not something and, that Quaid's doing on a Wednesday night, you know, like, I mean, Quaid's a good player. I mean, he could do yeah. it on a Wednesday night, but you know what I mean? Not the average DAS player. Yeah. But it was, you know, that and then came to CTWC and, you know, I just started working. And that day, you know, if I had more rest, because truth be told, I actually was running on like three hours of sleep that day because mm-hmm. I uh, I didn't get to my uh, hotel around like two because I went to like the food trucks. And there was this whole entire mm-hmm. story where the uh, address that somebody sent was the complete wrong address. And so then me and my friend, we were going to jog there because it's like, oh, it's only, you know, it says it's a 37 minute walk. Well, if we're jogging, you know, it's going to be like, you know, 10, 15 minute jog. Yeah. So then we get there and it's like, wait, this is not food trucks. And then it's like, oh, we have to go another 1.6 miles. So that day we ran a 5K and <laughs> <laughs> you ran. So you're telling me you ran a five, essentially a 5K before you qualified. 
Yeah, the day before I qualified. And then that morning, since uh, I somehow got signed up to be on the Portland local news, you know, I had to be at the convention center by five. And so Mm -hmm. then I slept at like, I slept at around like um, 12, woke up at 3.30. You know, I like taking morning showers, took a morning shower, make sure I had everything I need for the day and then walked to the convention center. And so then that I was up since five. And then by the time, you know, it was my qualifiers, I was still a little bit tired, but, you know, it was running on, you know, whatever kind of adrenaline that happens at convention centers. I don't know what it is, Mm. but what eventually happened was I started to, you know, underperform. And whenever I got the first, you know, game, it was like nine, 10 and level 27. And I was only three Tetris away from a max and I just got terrible RNG and that tilted me. And so then 90 minutes into my call, I was on the verge of giving up. I was like, okay, well, I just came here to qualify or not to qualify, to commentate. That is JD saying. <laughs> I just came here to commentate. Yep. You know, it's no big deal if I don't make the bracket. And then I heard Chris Tang uh, give me like my music just stopped. A Mob Psycho OP, of course. <laughs> music just stopped. And then I, I hear him, you know, talk about me as a DAS player, how I'm revolutionizing the play style and, you know, keeping up with all these high level players. And I'm like, all right, well, if he believes in me, I'm just going to, you know, try my best these last 30 minutes. And then I ended up getting, you know, two maxes and, you know, made the bracket and got myself a gold cart for my trouble. And even though I didn't play my best, once again, I feel as lack of sleep, but mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, my commentary was, you know, the most impactful that it's ever been. Yeah. Your commentary, I mean, was on par with, you know, James and Chris, like it, it seemed very natural. It wasn't like, you know. And I know you probably have a lot of experience from doing a lot of the gauntlet and just kind of, you know, trying things out and doing things differently. Um, but I have to say, of all the people I watched qualify, you were probably my favorite to watch because <laughs> your first max, I mean, I felt that shout. I, I felt it from behind <laughs> the screen thousands of miles away. And you're sitting there in Portland, probably screaming for half the convention hall to hear. But just seeing the, <laughs> like, you have this like chip on your shoulder with your emotions when you play that is just like it just connects people to it and it's just something that like i highly encourage anybody to sit in and watch sharky just play and just watch how emotional emotional he gets about you know playing and you know those those fun droughts you like to sit through because i've seen (laughs) i've seen a couple of sharky moments where there's a 30 or 40 piece drought on 19 or 20 and you know you try to burn out of it and it's still going and you roll your eyes in frustration and it's like you know as a DAS player 40 piece drought is pretty fatal on 19 20 level so um so people i know watch you in the ctwc um and they enjoy you know being around you and talking to you was there any moment in ctwc not from you just playing and not just, you know, the Opox moment with Chris. Was there another moment to you, either when you were commentating, playing, watching, that really stuck out to you and you were like, I'm going to remember this? I'd have to say it was uh, one of the time when, you know, I was signing, you know, because I was signing a lot of stuff for people. Mm-hmm. And there was this kid. He looked like eight or nine. Couldn't really tell because height is kind of hard for me to gauge. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, he looked like eight or nine and he, uh, you know, he uh, went up and asked me, he's like, hey, are you Sharky? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, could you sign my cart? And in my mind, I'm just like, like, whoa, this kid's, you know, he's eight, nine years old and he's asking me to, you know, sign, you know, his his Tetris cartridge. And then, you know, later on, I just walk around and I see him and he's trying to, you know, he's practicing hyper tapping on level seven. And I'm like, wow. You know, me just doing what I do could have laid a hand in, you know, this eight, eight, nine-year-old kid, you know, potentially discovering what the world of Tetris or world of classic Tetris is. And it's like, wow, I am really an ambassador now. Mm-hmm. That was the moment. That was when you realized it. And that's really cool to hear. And like the fact that you're doing stuff, you know, for those, you know, younger generations, because you never know, he might become the guy who completely breaks the game. You know, he might end up figuring out rolling at nine years old and be the youngest competitor to compete in the CTWC. You never know. And that's the great part about it. Um, but yeah, just that, you know, the CTWC and the tournaments. I mean, I know 
they probably mean the world to you now, you know, in regards to all the stuff that you've accomplished. But like the future of classic Tetris has been, I think, a pretty big topic. It's pretty broad. It's pretty wide ended right now because of rolling being discovered. It, it revolutionized what can be done. So where do you see the future of the CTWC in regards to tournament and qualifiers and how, how they are going to structure tournaments? Do you see it changing in a certain direction? Do you see them splitting up different play styles and different tournaments? Like, What does it look like for you in your personal opinion in the future? In my personal opinion, I feel like CTOBC is going to implement the line cap. I feel like, you know, whether they decide to do it at 39 or 49, I personally like 39 because it's like poetic. You have, you know, your certain amount of lines on 18, then you have 100 lines of 19, then 100 lines of 29, you know, mm. very poetic ending. But, you know, I feel like they're going to do that and hopefully they decide to go for a natural line cap. So like the double kill screen idea that we talked about earlier, I want them to do that. but. In order for CTWC, in order for it to become as entertaining as it possibly can, because don't get me wrong, the players that play in, you know, lining out on this 29, it's really impressive. And a point I'm trying to make in my commentary is that, hey, even though they're making it look easy, there is so much going behind in the mental that, you know, it's really hard to kind of quantify for the people that are watching. But at the same time, you know, after you see something, you know, go on for so long, and it's just a matter of, you know, survival, it can really get, you know, dull and uninteresting. So line cap is going to be needed in order to have, you know, the peak entertainment. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you watch, I'm pretty sure you watched the Honda Cup and they're going to upload that on CTWC. Mm -hmm. That grand finale was probably some of the most exciting Tetris that yeah. both me and Christine casted. Incredible. Like, we're, we're seeing these players build up, up on 29 with a dis on a disadvantage uh, kind of essentially port. We're seeing them build up for these Tetris on 29, you know, setting world record literally game after game. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that you want to see. It's the kind of stuff that helps build these amazing storylines during commentary. And if you're able to have just like such a strong narrative in commentary, that is your chance to really, you know, take a hold of whoever is watching, grab their attention and keep it there. You want them on their edge of their seat, leaning in like, oh, what's going to happen? Time mm. is running out. Oh, he's set up for the Tetris. Oh, no, he hangs the long bar. And now you crown a new, new world champion. I feel like if things go into that direction, you're going to have a resurgence of that same kind of feel that you had 2018, 2019, mm. 2020, you know, even earlier parts of 2021. And it's going to really resonate with viewers that way because, you know, you could even hear it in the... Um, sctwc it was you know relatively quiet while they were you know lining out on 29 you had you know through the fire and the flames play you know for whatever right. reason it, yeah. it was just playing in the background hey i and, i think it was kind of poetic like yeah. of all the songs that could have come on like that's the song that needs to play yeah and then the song played and ended and they were still playing and then next thing you know there was a song that was like still alive it, it was I'm pretty mm. sure whoever was DJing was in on it. <laughs> like, there's right. no way. Yeah, they saw it and they're like, hmm, what can we do here? Yeah, but, but. I, I will say with the future of Tetris as a spectator, because I would say I'm majoritively a spectator. I mean, you've been in my stream one time. I've just started streaming classic Tetris. I don't have a max out yet. I'm 150,000 points away, which is good and bad for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and I think you can resonate with that. But um it's something for me as a spectator, I see the revolution because I started watching in 2014 and that was the year. I think that was, was that the, that was the year that Harry Hong won 2014. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was. So because I got the recommendation on YouTube and it was like, you know, Tetris champion upset by, you know, another player. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, like, what do you mean? The three-time champion lost, you know, like, and it drew me in and then Jonas won another four and so on. So it's it's just incredible to see the future shaping and to see what they do with it because it's so open-ended. It's just, you can do so many different things. You can implement a timer. You can implement a line count, you know, all this type of stuff. And I see the correlations as somebody from the fighting game community where we have to kind of come up with our own rules for, you know, certain fighting games. It's like, do we put a time limit or do we just let them fight until the health bar goes out? You know, do we allow stalling? Do we not allow stalling? You know, what are you know like all the different rule sets and how they kind of connect in such a way so it's just interesting to see how that's going to shape the future and 
my last thing before I get into our uh, fun segment at the end, um, who would you say for next year, starting from today, who would you say is your underdog to look out for in the next CTWC? Who's the underdog like to you? I mean, you can say yourself. I'm not going <laughs> to. That's kind of tough. Cause, it's a tough I mean, it I've, is a tough question because there's a lot of talent. I will say that. Like it's really hard to you know pick anyone outside of you know the the big six. Yeah. But if I would have to say if you know they uh, continue to keep at it, I feel like Miles is a player that could potentially you know fill in that gap. You know, mm-hmm. he's a player one of the first few that you know ended up getting those high scores, and if he could get twenty nine play on lock, especially with you know it moving towards not being about necessarily your survivability on twenty nineteen but also the combination of you being able to survive and, you know, be able to score Tetris's here and there. I feel like Miles is a player that as soon as he can figure that out, he will be able to, you know, compete with the best that are, you know, Mm -hmm. currently established as, you know, the top six. You kind of have this like almost storyline when it comes to the entire history of Tetris, because you have like the way that I see it is very similar to like the competitive Smash Brothers scene in competitive Smash Brothers. uh, There's a documentary on it. I would highly recommend watching it because it's just insane how it's almost identical to the CTWC right now, because you have someone who was Jonas, the king of Tetris. He, he reigned for seven years. He had a 70% Tetris tournament win rate, which is unheard of in professional sports and stuff like that. Um, but the narrative after that was in the competitive smashing, you had the five gods. You had the five players who people just knew were at a higher level. And you guys have that now with your big six. You kind of have the six gods of NES Tetris. They are just at another level that people can compete with them, but you got to be at your very best to even keep up. And so just seeing that narrative and knowing that, you know, the next form of the narrative in the Smash scene was somebody who was called the God Slayer. Somebody who came up and rose up. Somebody like Miles could come up and essentially take a game from each of the six gods. So it's just so interesting to know that like those storylines line up perfectly. And so with that being said, um, speaking of all the past CTWCs, speaking of all the stuff that you've accomplished, speaking of everything that you know about C2BC. I thought I have us a little uh, quiz show and test your knowledge (laughs) about Tetris and the CTWC. Oh man. I got six questions for you and they are going to go from easy to hard. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep it pretty, pretty, you know, simple. I'm not going to, you know, blast you with a crazy question at first, but I did my research I did the same thing with Scout. I think I gave Scout five questions, but his were, I'm not going to lie. I think his were pretty rough, but he did really well. Um, I think you're going to do great as well, but if you're ready, I'm ready, and we can get this started. All right. Let's see. (laughs) All right. Um, The first question is about you. In 2019, your first year, what was your seeding? My seating was 42nd seed. For 2019? Yeah, for 2019. That is correct. There you go. See? <laughs> you got it, E. See? Threw you a softball for the first one. Had to give you a question about yourself. All right. Question number two. We're going to get into more of the actual game itself. What is the combined value of a Tetris on level 25? And a level 27 Tetris. So level 27 Tetris? Level 25 and level 27. Just one. One Tetris on each. Okay. I can feel the tensity. (laughs) I can feel the... uh, I gotta know this. Is it uh, 64,800? Correct. Look at you. There we go. See? Two for two. We're already in the big money. Wow. That's quite impressive you have that knowledge back there for that. Because... I don't know a lot of people who would probably get that in, you know, regular CTWC, but <laughs> yeah, I have, right. uh, 
stuff memorized. So for example, I can tell you that a level 24 Tetris is uh, 30,000 points. Okay. Uh, level 29 Tetris is 36,000. So stuff go. like okay. that. So you show button a little bit now? Just got yeah, flex, yeah. I mean, I have, flex, to, I have to know, I have to know for commentary because okay. I right, do right, a lot right. of calculations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to know so people know, oh, they're ahead by this much or behind because you don't get to have that, you know, blessing of knowing the difference right off the back sometimes. So, yeah. All right. Question number three. This is in Tetris terminology. What is the term for continuing to play a game even after your opponent has topped out in competition? Mullening. There you or go. Ben Mullen. See? There you go. And it comes from? It comes from Ben Mullen. Uh, Mullening in one of these CTWCs. I do not remember because I didn't watch back then. <laughs> so essentially what happened was, I don't remember what year it was. I want to say it was maybe 2017 or something. It was fairly recent. It wasn't, you know, one of the older ones, but he was on pace to have the first max out ever in uh, a yeah. competition. And so he had like an 830 at like, I don't know, like level 26 or somewhere, 27, something like that, where like he could yeah. max out. So they told him to keep playing even though his opponent topped out and they were still in tournament. So yeah. that's essentially where, what the history behind it was. So, all right. So you're three for three and three for three. Feel, you feel a little good about it. A little confident. You got, you I'm, got... Curi- I'm curious what these last three questions are like though. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see here. Let's go to CTWC 2021. How many max outs did Quaid get in CTWC twenty twenty one? He got four. There you go. Look at you, four for four, man. I should have made these harder. I know that because I wanted to beat his because he set the uh, record at the time, and I wanted to beat his record. Man, you are good, Sharky. Let me tell you, I should have made these a lot harder. All right, next question. In all of his time in competition. How many total max out during quals did Jonas have in all of his time competing? Yikes. This is my tough one. This is the one I think I'm going to try to stick you with. And if you get it, like props to you. I get it. Props to me because I don't know. (laughs) Um, This is I think this is probably the hardest question I've come up with. I'm going to have to say 11. Mm, nope, not 11. It was six. Really? Yeah. In qualifiers, I counted all of them up. He had one in 2013, and then he had two in two different years, and then he had one other max out another year after. I'm thinking in 2020, he had one max out. I, I guess I just expected him to have more max outs in the earlier That's, years. That was the thing for me when I was researching this. I had to count like four times to make sure I was right. But I looked at all the previous charts and sure enough, he's only he only maxed out six times in quals. Yeah. But I mean, overall his play, he probably has hundreds of max outs. So oh, yeah. All right. My last question for you. And I'm hoping that, I, I mean, I kind of want it to stump you, but not really. Because I want you to, you know, 90%, you know, five out of six. I don't even know if that's 90%. But anyway. Um, It'd be 83%. 83. Okay. Thank you. Anyway. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to um, Harry Hong was the number one seed in what year of the CTWC? 2016. There, yeah, you're correct. 2016, he was the number one seed. Wow, impressive! Five <laughs> out of five out of six for Sharky, man. That is 20, incredible. I, the only reason why I guessed 2016 was because that's when the boom Tetris for Jeff Mean came out, and I mm-hmm. remember Jeff upsetting Harry. But it had to have been a big upset because a lot of people made a big deal about it. So right. that was. That was my thought process behind okay. guessing 2016. No, no, no. That's 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 a great, great thought process. Like I that was I was a tough one for me. Like, because I I came up with the questions. I was like, man, this is actually a little bit hard if you really don't know. But you know, I'm pushing your knowledge and hey, five out of six. I mean, that's pretty good. 
for your knowledge. You, you, you got the knowledge. You, you know, you flexed a little bit. I stumped you with one, which I'm happy with. I'm happy that I got you on one. That yeah, Jonas that, that question. I mean, one. you know, I mean, I didn't even realize that he didn't have that many maxes in quals, but that just shows you how you know good of a player he was. He didn't need to max every time to continue to win like that. So. No, I should have actually guessed lower because, you know, the way that quals have been, like, we've had historic quals every single year, 2019, uh, mm. 2020, 2021. So I should have guessed lower because it was like 2019 is like, what is going on? There's so many maxes around. Right. Yeah. So, no, it was, it was, it was crazy to watch like the progression of it. It was like watching back in 2014 when Harry won with like a 700,000. But, you know, crazy stuff like that, you know, like Jonas winning the first ever CTWC with like 500K. Which is crazy to me, like a 500K now is a joke. It's like, come on. That's what you transition with. (laughs) Yeah, that's transition play. Come on. But hey, Sharky, I've had a blast having you on and talking like this has been a great time. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge and taking the time to, you know, come out and and just kind of talk CTWC. Um. Go ahead, you know, shout out whoever you want to, shout out to your, you know, social medias, any of that kind of stuff. Where can people find you? All that type. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube as uh, at Sharky, capital I-T-Z Sharky. I also stream on Twitch. It's Sharky one. Same spelling, just one because somebody had stole my name back in 2013 or whatever. It's all good. And of course, I mean, definitely got to tune into classic Tetris Gone events, which are generally streamed on my uh, channel. We actually have a Facebook page, have a couple of pretty good views so you can get a feel for, you know, the commentary and really feel the intensity that I built, you know, from scratch in that event. Awesome, man. No, it's it's exciting. Uh, guys, give him give him a follow on social media, YouTube, Twitch, all that type of stuff. Go go out, find him. Tell him I sent him to uh, bother you. Um, let him know that he didn't get the Jonas question right. Um, but anyway, um, again, thank you so much, Sharky. This has been a blast. I'm hoping that I can get more people from the CTWC, you know, and test their knowledge and see. Because, like, right now, I think if I'm not mistaken, hopefully I'm not, and people will let me know. But I think you got more questions right than A Game Scout. I think A Game Scout missed two and you only missed one. So that means I need to either make the questions harder or you're very good at this. I mean, to be fair, the questions were hard. I had to think about them. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the players would be able to get the Tetris one. Uh, but the mm-hmm. other ones, they were kind of stump stumpers. <laughs> good. Yeah, man. All right. Again, thank you so much for being on. Um, I can't wait to see you again. CTWC, whether you're just there to commentate or run a 5K and then max out twice. <laughs> you know it'll be good yeah. to be there and i'm planning to be there i really want to um i wanted to go last year but circumstances happened wasn't able to make it but i definitely want to go next year i have my crt set up next to me i have the tetris gym cart i have my customized nes controller nice you won the gang let's go yeah <laughs> yeah that's right you know um i'm a hyper tapper i'm not i'm not i'm not switching to rolling yeah. until i get my max once I get my max, then I'll consider it. But, <laughs> but yeah, thank you again, Sharky. It's It's been a lot of fun. So hope you have a good rest of your night. Thanks for taking the time. And, you know, have a good one. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs>